So what we have this morning is the New Testament version of a Jewish mother joke. Jesus tells a parable of immediately recognizable characters to his, his hearers, this, this uh, widow who's banging on and on and on, and everybody recognizes her from their own family, oy vey. And, and then everybody knows about the unjust judge. There is injustice everywhere. They know how, how, how you know, getting their attention is not possible. And, and, and Jesus is making light of some pretty serious stuff. And he says, so pray always and do not lose heart. There's going to be injustice. But pray always and do not lose heart. Same sort of thing that is going on in the second letter to Timothy. Persist whether times are, are happy or sad, whether times are uh, good or bad. You've got to persist in faith. Now, this perseverance, this persistence to which we are being called in faith is a real virtue, especially in the face of challenge, but it is not the same as blindness, and it is not the same as stupidity. Just a little while before telling this parable, uh, Jesus speaks of the cost of discipleship, he said, which of you intending to build a tower does not first sit down and estimate the cost? You know, be sensible here. Don't, don't do something if you know it's going to fail. What king going out to wage war against another king will not sit down first and consider whether he's able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? Don't be stupid. Faith is not about stupidity. Perseverance is not about being dogged in the face of all reason. In other words, per faith, perseverance is part of commitment, considered commitment. And commitment is part and parcel of faith. And faith is neither blind nor stupid, but rather something considered and chosen, even in the face of adversity. Some of you might have seen the recent editorial by the sociologist of religion, T.M. Luhrmann of Stanford University. She's showing up fairly regularly these days in the New York Times. And she argued for a difference between belief as what she calls in, intuitive plausibility and belief as measured sober faith. And that intuitive plausibility she's talking about is the, the kind of world we, we, we imagined perhaps when we were children, filled with spirits, angels, uh, monsters under the bed, the kind of sense that there's, there's something more to it than just us. And, and over against that uh, is, is this measured, sober faith in the light of day. And she says, she says, we populate, when we're scared in the dark, we populate the world with ghosts. And when we consider in full daylight whether the ghosts were real, ah, that is another matter. And she talks about how uh, evolutionary psychology imagines that we grow out of these ghosts, that, that spirit world and that anybody who hangs on to it, believing in God, is a lazy, it's a lazy option for humans. Whereas her research, which is mostly among evangelical churchgoers, will say that what they find is that keeping God real is what's hard. Persevering as their experience and imagination gets challenged and changed, that's what's hard. What I've found, as I think back over life on, on a very uh, sabbatical for which I was very grateful. I've been doing some writing, and that's led me to do a lot of thinking about 
where I've come from. And, and I realize that persevering faith means that the ways in which I've imagined God or experienced God as real, the ways in which I conceive of God or think about God, my spirituality, if you like, has changed subtly and frequently over time. There was a time in childhood and early adolescence when I imagined and felt God as Jesus to be being close to me, almost like in the same room. There was an immediacy to God's presence, and I wanted that presence. And if I'd known the song about, you know, he walks with me and he talks with me, that, that hymn, if I'd known it in those days, I could have sung it without irony. Not so today, which when I find it really challenging, because that's so far from, from my experience. I almost judge it as sentimental at these days. I was very interested after that in experiencing God and seeking that experience, perhaps because I'd kind of grown away from that immediate sense, intimate sense of the presence of God. And I continued to imagine God as a kind of personal benefactor, kind of at least until I could no longer managing the intellectual challenge of thinking of God out there somewhere as, as someone we put in requests and we may or may not get them answered because that God turns out to be a capricious God and that God turns out to be not worthy of worship and that changed my spirituality. Praying without losing heart was particularly challenging when I didn't think there was any point in offering intercession in the first place. I tried the route of contemplative prayer, still seeking to, to come closer. I've made regular re silent retreats, sometimes long ones in monastic settings, and, and looking for an authentic way of being continuing in relation with the divine. And it was in this season of my life that a monk gave me a couple of gifts. He, su he suggested that I stop looking for uh, the effect of prayer as an experience within the prayer or looking to get something out of worship, for example, and instead said I need to be looking for the effects of prayer and worship in my life as I experience myself as more graceful, free, in more integrity, more joyful, and so on. That's, that's really a whole other sermon because it changed my understanding of prayer. But at the same time, the second gift was it allowed me to admit that I found contemplative prayer and the life of contemplative prayer in these long silent retreats incredibly boring. And, and I know and appreciate that such prayer is water in the desert for many of you, many among us, and I'm grateful for the contemplatives in my life, but I was liberated from trying to get uh, my spiritual shoe in a, into a kind of Cinderella's slipper that didn't fit. And so once again, that means what is God? Who is God to me? What does that have to do with Jesus? And these days, my sense of God has and is much more to do with the connectedness of everything and everyone uh, in the universe, and so with the mystery of communion and Eucharist, in where God is both very immediately present and connected with the whole of creation. Now, I share this some thumbnail sketch, fully aware that any of these seasons could be the material for a class or a sermon or a series with theological and philosophical import, and maybe we'll do that one day. But for now, I want to get at this idea of persevering in faith. It's what we're going to promise in our baptismal covenant. Will you continue? Will you persist? Will you persevere? And we say we will. When we persevere in faith, we're not persevering in something that is conditional upon today, upon where we are today, upon what we're feeling today, upon what we're thinking today, 
upon our imaginative world today because that can change and will change, God hopes, if over a lifetime it doesn't. We're just stuck. We're not really alive. So as things change, what does it mean to persevere in the faith? I've had a number of friends who come up against these intellectual roadblocks and ditch the whole thing so I can no longer believe. And usually what they're rejecting, I'm rejecting as well. But real faith assumes there is always more to learn, always more to experience, always more to discover, always more to enjoy in life, and is not dependent on the particular challenges I might face or feelings I might experience on any given day. I'm committed to following Jesus, wherever that trust in God and commitment to follow might lead, and however difficult I might find this or that aspect of faith at any given time. Luke makes clear that perseverance is not the same, however, as keeping on keeping on without that continual consideration in the daylight of what is going on, without counting the cost, without having some assurance of victory, and so on. In this regard, I'm particularly suspicious. One of the major clues when I'm going off the rails or when I think someone else is, of when I come across anger or when I start getting deadly serious or when I experience someone being playful as trivializing whatever it is that's so important to me at any given moment. That's a clue that I'm regressing to some kind of former state. Now, mentioning, I I know that mentioning the recent unpleasantness in Washington in this context is a bit like shooting fish in a barrel, but, but nonetheless, the anger that seemed to fuel so much of the intransigence, uh, not only in Washington, but around the country, and and that led to a kind of dogged ideology, struck me as a clue that there was a regression, a societal regression to some very primitive kind of intuitions going on, and that it was not persevering in faith. It was, in fact, getting stuck, and we all experienced the consequences of that, getting stuckness. You see, it's a, it's a true when we get that way with religion as it is politics. In fact, I'd say it's more dangerous with religion. I could have imagined that I'd lost my faith many times over the years instead of recognizing a new way, a new day, a new gift of grace, a new possibility. And that clue that would have kept me or any of us is when we start getting deadly serious. At the risk of oversimplifying, it's to do with the development of the brain. The most recent evolutionary parts of the brain are the the neocortex, the front as I understand it, where we get much of our higher thinking capacity for self-criticism and so on, much that we think distinguishes us as humans. And then there's the the cortex back here that's, that's more to do, we share that with mammals, with otters and chimpanzees and, you know, and, and uh, animals that have the capacity to play, playfulness. Is a, is, a, is a sign of something that is really gracious, that can allow us to break through uh, anger and deadly seriousness. And we need it because that oldest part of the brain, near the brainstem, we share with reptiles. And when we get deadly serious, we are being reptilian. And you can see it happening in a group of people as someone starts getting angry, starts getting really strict, start saying, if you're being playful with me, you're not taking me seriously. You must do what I want to do. My world is going out of control, and I am going to control it. I'm being reptilian. People do this the same. They take that second epistle of Timothy, which is about 
remembering what really matters and allowing the story, the scriptures to be for instruction and growth and faith and reason and turn it into a prison and say, if you don't believe like this, you are going to go to hell. And that kind of controlling intuition, which is often dressed up as faith, is just reptilian behavior. And it shuts us down and it stops us being the full kind of human beings filled with grace and fun and playfulness and hope, even when there's clear injustice, even when we have reason to be depressed, even when life is hard, it's really important that we don't, re- that we don't allow ourselves, or when we find ourselves regressing, we interrupt it in some way, shape, or form, usually through playing in, in playing, allowing a playful side to emerge. So we're baptized into a faith. We're baptizing these children this morning into a faith that has defied final definition over centuries. The creed was an attempt to define the faith in a definitive way. But our imaginative world's changed. And so the faith changes. The Inquisition, there have been endless attempts to, by one party to impose a, a, a picture of how things are supposed to be on others and it tends to be an exercise in control and domination that is far from the gospel. For our baptisms and this story are about our becoming fully human, about our becoming beloved, the beloved creatures of God that we are made to be. So Jesus says, pray always, persevere, persist, don't lose heart, do it in the light of day, for often that, that thinking is what's going to allow you to move into a new place and not regress into a reptilian place. Pray always and don't lose heart. Teach your children how fun it is to play, how beloved they are. Teach them to grow that they may persevere as we do in knowing real life and knowing it abundantly. I offer this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.